coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. I think that that's changing from, hey, force yourself to do X, Y, and Z every day to like do a hell of a lot of introspection and iteration to figure out what you really love, what you're good at, and even to the, what amount of sleep you need, what food you need to eat to feel good, what time of day you get the best workout of yourself, leaning into that. That was our guest for today, Jack Butcher. You can hear more from Jack very soon. But first, we have to say a big thanks to the overarching sponsor of the show, Hawora. It's a whole person performance well-being growth partner that looks to impact on individual and organizational health and well-being through four key pillars, physical, mental, social, and occupational. So do make sure to check it out at haworalife.com, H-A-U-O-R-A, life.com Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with Jack Butcher, Visualize Value founder, operator, creative, and educator of how to build value on the internet. Jack Butcher is a graphic designer, an entrepreneur, and the founder of Visualize Value. He's a huge presence on social media platforms and has several successful businesses online with courses such as How to Visualize Value, Build Once, Sell Twice, and permissionless apprentice. He has provided the visual assets for the Almanac of Naval Rafikan. Prior to clarifying and depicting value propositions, Jack worked in corporate advertising. We unpack what sparked the transition. We speak about his new journey as a father, his creative processes, when he knows a piece is ready to publish. Jack shares his favorite concepts and what it's felt like becoming successful quickly. For those of you looking for what to do and how to do it better, this one's for you. Thanks for adding value, Jack. Jack Butcher, thank you very much for coming on the pod today. Self and Kiran, really looking forward to talking to you. How was life? Life is good, my friends. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Big, big old, big old question. How was life? But uh, you had said off air that congratulations. You've uh, you have a new member of the family. How is that going for you? It's good, mate. Uh, yeah, thirteen week old little boy it's obviously drastic alteration to regular scheduled programming but loving it we've been working on like a militant schedule the last few weeks (laughs) and finally got him down i think he's doing like nine hours a night now uh all credit to my wife who is just like that's the one thing i've learned from uh, having a baby is just how ridiculously how much I took my mother for granted in so many different ways over the course of my life. It's just, just absolutely remarkable what um, mothers are capable of. So uh, all the credit goes to Celia, my wife, but it's been an amazing experience. With all that you have going on, how has the new arrival changed that? You have your militant schedule, but what, what's the biggest thing maybe it has changed in your, you know, in your personal and your professional life? I, th- I think the I think definitely the perception of time it definitely when you're when you're thinking about the windows of time you have like while he's asleep or you know if you're trying to maximize the amount of time you're spending with uh, a baby uh, you tend to or at least I've tended to be a little bit more uh, intentional or you can just figure out 
what you thought was possible in five minutes before you had a baby is uh, drastically underestimating what's actually possible in five minutes when you know you've only got five minutes. So uh, I think it's just really like an instant shift in perspective. Obviously, the the idea of thinking longer term and like thinking about what you need to do in order to provide for somebody. It's not just you anymore, but then like the in the day to day of your life, I think it adjusts your perception of time in a really interesting way like you want to be as present as you can but at the same time sitting around and like scrolling on social media platform of your choice is probably not a great use of your time when it's been cut in half from what you had three months ago so a bit more intentional with with all of that stuff that's brilliant and just to jump back you were someone who perhaps looked long term when you made the switch from working with big companies, big multi-billion dollar companies to mm-hmm. going out on your own, taking that risk. How was that feeling? What was the one thing that you said, okay, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to start my own venture. I think there's honestly some naivety in it originally, which I think is, was a good thing, right? It's like you leap before you look to some extent. And the, the thing that kept nudging me in that direction was being a designer in these larger teams. You are producing something that Perhaps naively, like I said, you think is 90% of the product. So you're like, hang on a minute. I'm doing like a huge portion of the work here. And I look at the P&L and I'm like, "Mm, I'm getting 1% of the upside or less. So maybe I can cut out all of this inefficiency and go direct to consumer with my design expertise. That's the original thought. And while that is true to some extent, when you're working with these big businesses, a lot of the function of an agency is like absorbing the inefficiency of that business and wrangle it like herding cats and trying to get people <laughs> on the same page and send emails and all of that kind of stuff. And as a, you know, somebody who's just like, oh, I just want to do great creative work. I definitely overlooked that in the beginning of like, oh, I'm going to go out and start an agency because you need to be a great operator and you need to be able to tolerate the bureaucracy that comes with like managing your relationships with huge firms that have dozens of stakeholders and the thing that you envisioned delivering on day one is has been massacred many times over by the time <laughs> it ever gets to market if it ever got to market i think the original motivation was like i want to i want to capture more of the upside i want to like create more freedom for myself and my family and there is obviously a there is nothing that exists without a trade-off so you get into that environment it's like okay i've really overestimated my capabilities relative to like all the administrative side of a business that that serves customers like this so i can either try and figure out how to hire a dozen people and get an office and like do all the things necessary to keep this going or i need to like drastically pivot the model of the business to i mean i went through a lot of iterations and the first wasn't to stop working with clients of that size it was like try and change the product and trying to change the method of engagement. But none of that really worked. It was all, it kind of had to be stripped down to the studs and built back up from, from nothing. And Jack, there's something you mentioned there that kind of resonated with me. You said do creative work. Obviously, you're renowned for that now, which we'll, which we'll dive into a little bit later. For you at that point or even now, what does, what does deep excellent creative work mean for you what is that all about i'm sure you guys have come across the concept of flow before and that's just uh try to make that a guiding principle where 
if you almost lose track of time or you're you try and apply a ton of logic and guardrails to something it almost always prevents you from doing great creative work so in the environments i was talking about before it's kind of the antithesis of the antithesis of the environment you need to be incredibly creative and that's not true for everybody that but that's definitely true for me so great creative work i think is like allowing yourself to or designing an environment where you can enter that flow state as freely as possible and it sounds like really broad and, and vague but for me that was just like continually pivoting into different models or these different ways of experimenting that gave me slowly gave me a little bit more agency and a little bit more agency and a little bit more agency and it's not a, it's not a switch it's more of a gradient right where you're slowly removing the things that feel like they're standing in the way of you doing something that you want to do versus doing something that somebody's telling you to do. And there's definitely a tension there because if you want to sell your work, if you want to create things that are valuable to other people, the chances that this thing that just pops out of your head is going to be, you know, valuable to someone else or they're going to want to pay you to do it is slim. But there's this iterative process of going from, hey, tell me what to do and pay me for my time to I've established myself as, you know, a creative that does X, if you like that, then come to me and I'll happily work with you to produce it. I just wanted to pick up on the flow state and you mentioned that it's creating the environment and we often look at triggers of how to get into that. When you're creating these, you're, you're bringing these big concepts, these big philosophies and you're creating them into a singular image um, for the output of your work you do. Do you have any certain triggers that you always go to? Is it simple as something making a green tea or being in a certain mm. seat or... A bit of meditation yeah. before it. Yeah, I think um, introducing the baby to the mix has taken out the like 20 minute <laughs> meditation that I used to try and do as religiously as possible. But I definitely have periods of time during the day where I feel like my mental energy peaks. So it's always a morning for me. Mm -hmm. So I wake up, go downstairs. I've just been drinking this like CBD coffee for the last few months, which is like quite a clean little uh, energy, mental focus delivery for a while and uh, drink a, a little cold can of that and sit for like two hours and write or design or just sort of empty my brain. I think that knowing when you're like, when you're the most creative or when you're able to like extract the most, the, the highest clarity of thought is, is a powerful thing to recognize because at a certain time of the day, like if I'm trying to make something at like three o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon, it's just not going to happen for me. It's like there are certain points where it's just like I can't access the part of my brain that I could when I wake up. I have no idea why that is. Maybe it's like some uh, subconscious process that happens while you're while you're sleeping and kind of organizes your thoughts and you wake up and you feel fresh and you can just get things out onto a page that have been, you know, slowly percolating. And then... Beyond that, like during the day, I think it's just like bursts of inspiration. It's like trying to lean into the fact that you know your inspiration will perish. I think there's a the Vol quote, if this is not the exact quote, it, it's along these lines. Like in, inspiration is perishable, act on it immediately. So if you get some burst of inspiration, you have this idea, it's like get me to a piece of paper or let me throw that thought down or like just record it somewhere. 
So it's a combination of the two. The morning, the like couple hours in the morning is really almost a guarantee that you can produce something interesting if you just pay attention to that window of time where you're the most creative and then trying to just let it happen for the rest of the day. And when, when inspiration strikes, just, just jump on it. I love the fact that you've, you know when you're, you're channeling that energy and when you're in that deep work, you know, as Cal Newport would say, when do you know at that point in time that you're finished that piece of work? So you have that idea, you've had your, you've had your cold brew, you, you have your mm-hmm. two hour period, you've gone through your iterations of it and you've made different models and different depictions of what you're trying to create for yourself and for, for us. When do you know it's a finished piece? At what point can you walk away from it and say, I'm happy with that. I'm going to put that out there now. This is, I actually asked this question. So I was uh, fortunate enough to go to this. I think it was like, a, this was pre-COVID in New York. Seth Godin did a little fireside chat thing at some co-working space. And I think I asked the question almost exactly how he worded it. And uh, he was like, he gave an, like a way more eloquent eloquent answer than I'm going to do justice to here. But it was a set, like this opening line was Saturday night live doesn't go on because it's ready. It goes on because it's Saturday night, which I think is a cool model. Cool. Uh, yeah. And it's like, that doesn't mean that you should like ship bad work or unfinished work or, um, you know, that you should be lazy in what you put out there, but it does mean that you need to like, put some constraint on how you're going to interact with the world or how you're going to output things. So if you're writing a book, obviously you wouldn't commit to publishing something every day. But I know at this point that if I put, you know, a solid 20, 30 minutes into designing something that the output of that, I can share that and get feedback on it. So it's arriving at a set of constraints for me, which has been almost an accidental tool in the growth of visualized value is like finding something that is truly constraining enough that it does that it actually fuels your creativity as opposed to inhibiting it. So it's like finding this really sweet spot of even if you have a podcast, right? Or you do five minute monologues. It's like that's my thing. I'm going to go in and I'm going to write. I'm going to record my five minute monologue, and when I'm happy with it, I'm putting it out. You could then say, okay, I'm going to do a audio book, or I'm going to make this into a hundred episodes of this thing. But if you can time box yourself into, not even time box, I think this idea of constraint and boxing yourself into a format. And then maybe you add some time constraint after that is uh, it gets you to a point where, what is it? The law of diminishing returns where it's like, I've said what I'm trying to say here. And if I spend another five hours on it, it's not going to get a hundred percent better. It may get 3% better. So I'm going to put it out and listen to what people have to say about it. And then, kind of clear the mental slate too. I think that publishing feedback loop is really helpful to reset your your creative process where it's like that's gone, that's shipped. And now we have inverted commas, a blank slate here. You have the constraints that you started with, but you need to bring a new idea into those constraints and, and start again. Yeah, something you mentioned at the end is exactly what I wanted to build on the feedback. So most people who would listen to this would know we're big Ray Dalio fans and he has his process of looking back at reflecting on things that maybe didn't go so well and using them as a progression tool to move forward. And you mentioned iterations. You had so many, even when you le- started leaving the firm and then you see with your, with your designs that huge amount of work gone into each. So they would have always had to get feedback from soundboards, from different people. 
what's your process for getting that feedback and how do you remove emotion from maybe things mm. of feedback that doesn't go as well for you? Yeah, it's very fascinating. The Generally speaking, like my taste is not 100% aligned with the market's taste. So the, the maybe the graphics that I'm the least crazy about, you know, like I think this communicates the concept, but like I'm not convinced that I did the perfect job on this thing. I'll put it out and it will completely outperform my expectations. And then conversely, I'll do something where I'm like, that's perfect. It's great. Like I wouldn't change a thing. And it falls on deaf ears. So mm-hmm. I think the, that, like that insight and having gone through that feedback loop probably 10,000, 15,000 times at this point is, uh, it just convinces you that it really doesn't matter what you think. And this exponential game we're playing on the internet is, um, like to take the feedback from that personally is kind of ludicrous, right? It's like a really bizarre, um, expectation to have that these hundreds, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people are all going to have the same mentality and receive this piece of content in exactly the same way. What you're doing is putting something out there as essentially a magnet for the people who do think the way you think to gravitate towards. So I think that's like reframe of the purpose of why you're publishing has been helpful for me as for like very tangible feedback. Like I have a focus group of one, my wife, where I'll just be like, uh, I'm not sure about this. Like I'll tilt my screen around and she'll be like, uh, you know, like I can tell before she says anything where it's like, she hasn't got it or like, you know, you, you can watch someone's eyes and be like, there's confusion for five seconds. I'm like, okay, I haven't, you know, this isn't right. Sometimes I skip that step if I'm feeling like it's, uh, it's already there. But, um, yeah, that said, like my first point, sometimes you think mm, it's, it's not quite there, but I'll ship it and get some feedback and it just goes, you know, it performs incredibly well. So you don't know until you ship. I think we I read uh, principles right. must be like this. Maybe it was like the book that first got me into the idea that people even wrote books that contained information like that. And it was before I was doing anything on my own. And uh, these things that seem incredibly obvious as part of the process now, back then was such a foreign idea. Ray Dalio is a great thinker. And yeah, just when I'm comparing the work that he does to something like publishing content on the internet, the my uh, like quest for feedback is way lower consequence than his, right? It's like you're not moving billions of dollars into some investment and losing a fortune potentially for people. You're literally, you have, uh, there's a guy, if you haven't read his stuff, his name's Packy McCormick. He wrote this piece last week called The Great Online Game. And there's a line in there, he said, every tweet is a lottery ticket, which is, is, is just a great way of thinking about this this game we're playing where you produce content that you put it out there, you don't really know what's going to come of it. And all you pay for it in is, you know, time and effort. Like you're not paying to roll the dice in, in that scenario. So I think like it's a combination of things. It's repetition that gets you comfortable with the fact that you don't know how the market's going to respond. And then it's understanding that this unlimited upside exists and all you have to do to capture it is to just keep rolling. And most of the things that have happened over the last couple of years really were not premeditated in a lot of ways. They're just kind of 
iterations on the back of getting that feedback from people. And, and rolling with that, Jack, when you're putting things out there on Twitter, it could be the lottery ticket or doing a visualized value piece, how much of it is driven from an intrinsic motivational piece that's saying, you know, this is really important to me. This is, you know, value system. I want to really bring that forward. Or is it more a piece of extrinsic motivation? Where do you lie in, in that piece? Yeah, you know, I think in the moment it's really hard to tell, but when you look back, you can really, you, you can really get it. I, I um, have this conversation pretty frequently with my wife. It's like when I'm like not producing at the level I'm happy with, it's always external. It's always this thing that's like, I need to, I haven't put anything out today, so I need to do it. And then it's just like, I force myself in, through this process of like making something and I have no idea of the like science behind this, but there's something just bizarre that happens when it's again, going back to our first uh, point in the conversation, your flow state does translate into something that is felt in a different way. In my experience, at least in the content I produce that is like just incredibly forced, the response to it just reinforces the fact that I forced it as opposed to waiting for the thing to arrive. I think a lot of people have uh, articulated this in incredible ways, but it's like you are like a transitory vehicle for these ideas that just arrive at a certain point in time. And then if you can do a great job of translating them or putting them back out into the world, then you, you know, you capture some of that momentum and some of that like uh, epiphany that you feel in the moment. And I think the energy the energy that you feel when you when a, when a concept resonates or when an idea like really a light bulb goes off that translates into your writing your conversations your design whatever it is the the medium that you're using to communicate it is definitely felt by the audience so uh when it's intrinsic and it just like hits you like a lightning bolt and you just have to write the sentence and fire it out generally uh, I see that it tends to resonate. The data indicates that it resonates with more people. Moving to specific data point or a reaction of when you put something out, was there any moment where maybe you felt this, that's the most humbling moment I've had on my new venture where you've mm. put out a bit of work and it's got a reaction from someone you admire or a certain amount of people, or it's just resonated with someone that was important to you? Definitely. So uh, one of the people that I got, one of the people that inspired me to change my business model that inspired me to like work in public more is Naval Ravikant and uh, got the opportunity to illustrate the almanac of his ideas through just publishing stuff on Twitter. And, you know, two years ago, I'm just reading this guy's stuff. Like, oh my God, this is just ridiculously powerful the way this guy thinks. And then like two years later in a Google doc, and the name is popping up. So what? How did this happen? Yeah, it's just uh, that's happened a few times. They're just incredibly smart people that whose thinking I would just say is in like a different stratosphere to mine. You know, I've either collaborated with them or had an opportunity to talk to them, or it's just kind of astounding looking back at what you think can come of the work you're doing when you begin. So. You know, originally visualized value was just, uh, uh, hopefully I can get a few design clients by putting these ideas out. And I really didn't understand the power of 
network effects and Twitter as a network and the ability to just like build relationships with people that you have no geographic proximity to whatsoever. And just by constantly showing them what you're capable of, there's a a high likelihood that at some point somebody reaches out or like in a lot of cases, it doesn't even, it doesn't even happen as forced as that. It kind of becomes this thing off the back of something you've already done. In the case of those Naval illustrations, like all those illustrations were already done. Eric Jorgensen, the guy that compiled the book, just, I reached out to him. I was like, Hey, I've done these things. If you want to include them, please go ahead. Like I don't even need to be credited. I just love the, I love what you're doing. And then, you know, a couple of years later, it's, uh, you're on Amazon as a, with an illustrator credit, which is just, yeah, that's probably the proudest moment in the last few years for sure, professionally. Let's chunk that up, Jack. So how does it feel that you've got that book out on Amazon? We have it here. Love it. Right? Love it. It's we just didn't, incredible. We didn't, didn't just buy it today. <laughs> uh, we both have a copy. So it's impacted across the pond. We've obviously bought your course. Visualize value for everyone. Buy one, sell twice. Check it out. We'll be sending the links at the end. But how does that make you feel, Jack, that the impact you're having with your pieces of work that came from, from your head? And, and look what you've managed to do with that. It's remarkable. I mean, it's it's very hard to fathom, honestly. It's still every day, um, you know, the the courses are a great example when, like, those, you know, I wouldn't say eclipse the book, but it's definitely, like, a different end of the spectrum, right? It's like somebody who could get anybody in the world to illustrate their book is, uh, like, is not the same feeling you get when somebody has, like, stumbled upon material or, consume something that you produced that has either, you know, helped them change their economic situation or help them like feel as though they can be creative or discover a new part of themselves and participate in this economy that they never, never knew existed. Those messages and those like stories have been uh, just mind blowing really. And I think you do underestimate it hugely. You, it's like still now I, I really am sort of floored by it to the point where I'm like, did, did it really have that much of an impact? Like, could it really, could someone really like have had that much of a transition in mindset from reading this or going through this thing? The only way I can contextualize it is to think about how ideas that I've discovered have drastically changed the way I think about life and drastically changed the decisions I've made over the last few years it's very easy for knowledge that you accrue for you to sort of be blind to your previous blind spots, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like you, you develop quickly and you sort of start to absorb this information so fast and it becomes part of your operating system and you're, you don't really have empathy for people who were exactly where you were three years ago in the moment. Right? You have to zoom out and be like, hang on a minute. I never really understood this idea of publishing work on the internet and, leveraging software to build a business. Like I was just there in the pushing pixels around day after day, trying to get my hourly rate up. Right. That was the, that was how I thought the world worked. And that's, I could not imagine there was any other paradigm than that. And then a few sentences you read and you're like scratching your head a little bit like, wow, I've been doing this a little bit wrong. And if I can help other people have the same realizations that I had two, three, four years ago now, then 
yeah, it's it's weird that I'm surprised that that is uh, has a profound effect, but you still are blind to your own. And I I don't know if that's a bad thing. I think maybe that's uh, you don't I don't think developing a complex around that is particularly helpful either. Right? It's like the fact that you are constantly questioning how you can be doing that better, or if it really is you know the the most effective thing you can do for people, then it just it just forces you to keep iterating and getting better. So. But it is a is a true pleasure to operate that way and have the opportunity to do that. And I think you know it becomes this big positive sum game that everybody uh, discovers these new rules, and you can build great community and relationships around these ideas. Links very well to what you put out recently about the smartest people you know are the ones that don't think they're smart, so they yeah, get better and better, get smarter and smarter. There's a conversation, it's literally inspired by a guy that I'm working on a project with right now. I was having a Discord chat with him, and he's like, I don't know how deep into um, crypto you guys are, but we're working on this uh, NFT project, and he's like building a smart contract from scratch. And uh, he's like doing like... Just the logic in this thing is just ridiculous. And I'm trying to follow along with it. He's a like technical guy. And then he's like, you know, 15 iterations into this contract. He's like, oh man, I'm, I'm an idiot. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what I'm doing. I was like, are you, are you for real, man? Like, this is ridiculous what you've done in the last couple of days. He's like, yeah, nah, I, you know, I'm, I'm an amateur. And it's just phenomenal to see like the people who I just think of as having superhuman talent are like, Nah, I don't really know what I'm doing. And uh, that, that realization for me was like, okay, that has to be why he keeps pushing in this direction or he like he studies this material and absorbs it and applies it um, and then reflects back. It's like, no, I haven't really come that far. So you just keep going. Uh, it's, it's remarkable. It's excellent. And having an impact, a profound impact on people. I'm going to ask you a broad question. And it's difficult to answer and it's a blank slate, so you can use any way you want. But if you had to give one lesson that you've learned in the last while to anyone in any role, in any circumstance, what do you think the most important one is that you could share? Mm, Great question. I think based on what I've seen work, that is, there's maybe been like the, it's like a simple principle, but I think it helps you develop in a lot of different ways is share what you wish you knew six months ago, you, the time frame is arbitrary, right? It's like, what it does is, it, I think it challenges you to constantly discover new ideas, but it also challenges you to become a better communicator and to be generous with those ideas and to really think about how you can transfer the things that you found valuable to other people, which is you know how additional value gets created, right? How you build great relationships, great businesses, how you help people transform their circumstances. So like I said, six months is an arbitrary timeline, but essentially that like little philosophy has built this entire business. And there's a lot of great businesses that I think take that same idea, yours included, I would imagine, and just really lean into the fact that there are there are countless numbers of people that can that you can help by focusing on your craft and sharing the lessons that emerge from developing your craft. It's, it's a really simple idea, but if I sort of had to think of a blanket 
framework that lays over everything that I do on a daily basis, that would just about do it, I think. And we're nearly there, Jack, but I'd like to just pick that apart one more thread and just say your son, 13 weeks old, growing up in a world that's changed drastically from when you grew up and from when we grew up. What's the big thing you'd like to maybe teach him? Maybe it's maybe it's not one thing, but what would what would be the piece of advice or wisdom you'd like to share with your son even now if you could give it to him and it goes straight into his head to help him as he gets older? I think it would definitely be a cure like to prioritize curiosity. I think that's like a maybe I don't know how old you guys are, we're probably similar ages. I'm thirty-two. Um he, 35 I'm the oldest here uh, 31 35 alright well we're all around there but when we grew Similar. up I, I don't know what your parents would have told you about the working world but it definitely was more of a like find a you know find a peg and find a holder like you decide sort of what you want to do and then just pursue that like that's the economic opportunity that exists for you I think the world that um he's going to grow up in is going to be drastically different from that, right? The, the Balaji has a, a ton of incredible material on this and he's like 10 years out from most people in terms of the way he thinks about the world. But 20 years ago, you would hit a, a button in a factory, the same button in a factory every day. Today, you hit a different key every second. All of the thinkers that I've gotten the most powerful ideas from really have lent into this idea. It's like, your curiosity, your ability to develop an individual perspective and lean into that are really going to be what, what shapes the, the world in years to come. So by ignoring your curiosity, you're essentially turning yourself into a commodity, which is probably not going to work out well for you over the long term. And I think not to say that I grew up without that advice, but it wasn't I don't think it was embraced as the economic advantage that it could have been, right? Like you, you can really do incredible things in any field now because of the way the internet and incentive structures are changing. But you may have 10, 20 years ago, you may have said, okay, like enough with the computer games or enough with the karaoke, you got to go and get a job, right? Whereas like now there's just these incredible opportunities to build one person media companies. Even outside of media, I think by the time he's old enough to type, you'll be able to work for any business anywhere in the world working on any problem. Uh, it's just a very different landscape. So your curiosity for me, is like the the fuel that's going to take you not necessarily where you want to go because you don't. I don't. I don't really believe in that either. Like you don't know exactly where you're headed, but if you can really identify the things that give you energy and that like, keep you endlessly curious, that to me is a massive advantage. And I'll be. I don't even know how I'm going to communicate that, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Sounds like a great message. The final question that we like to ask every person that comes on the show, and I think it's apt that we ask someone who's influenced and impacted so many is, what does high performance mean to you, Jack? It's a good question. I think, um, I think consistency is definitely in there. So like high performance for me is, one is like recognizing, and this is one of the things that I, with, with the baby coming into the world in the last few months, my 
consistency and my energy levels have been the most varied that they've ever been. That's definitely taught me a lesson that there's there's definitely balance that needs to occur in order to participate in like to be a high performer the uh the way in which the world is changing now doesn't necessarily mean wake up every day and go absolutely bananas it depends on your field of course but in like high leverage knowledge work and internet like participating in the internet economy it doesn't doesn't mean that right it's about like figuring out where you are the most effective when you can identify that, take advantage of those, whether it's a time slot, whether it's an environment. Another Naval quote, I think, is like the new way in which the, the work world will change is like it will be more like you'll be more like a lion where you sort of rest for a week and then you attack something and you do something amazing or you get an, a great result and then you go and rest again. So I think that that's changing from hey, force yourself to do X, Y, and Z every day to like do a hell of a lot of introspection and iteration to figure out what you really love what you're good at and even to the down to the like what amount of sleep you need what food you need to eat to feel good what time of day you get the best workout of yourself leaning into that so we all have different mental constructs physical constructs and like the pursuit of like figuring out your like recipe for high performance feels like for me, how you get there as opposed to trying to emulate Jocko Willink, for example. Because <laughs> I couldn't do that. You know, like three days into that, I'd be, I'd be in a state. Maybe you can push through it and become that, but for the work I do, not helping me, right? Jack Butcher, I'd like to commend you on the fact that you've created so many amazing pieces of work and you, and you share it with the world, not just on Twitter and Instagram, but you've, you've run your course so people can learn from your craft and try to understand and make sense of it for their own perspective. So fair play to you for that. And just thanks a lot for your time today, speaking to the two of us. We've really enjoyed it. And I'm sure our community will have gotten an awful lot of value from it. So thanks so much for your time today, Jack. My absolute pleasure. Thank you both. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.